What's happening, weirdos? This is my conversation with Japanese breakfast, Michelle Zauner. I am thrilled that you guys are here. Uh, a shout out to Tom Osborne, the unofficial booker of musical guests for this podcast. Thank you, Tom, for introducing me to Michelle. She is incredible. I have been enjoying her music for months. We actually recorded this a couple months ago, and I'm so glad I found her. For those of you that know Japanese Breakfast, uh, you already get it. For those of you that are just finding out about、uh, Japanese Breakfast, you're in for a treat. In fact, at the end of this intro, we will play、uh, a track from her new record,、uh, Jubilee,、uh, which you need to check out right now.、Uh, on my front, on my front, <laughs> what a weird way to say that. I have a couple shows to promote. We just added another show at Largo. So we have two shows at Largo here in Los Angeles. This is me doing stand up with guests. I promise、uh, big guests for March. We're, we're really swinging for the fences, and I think it's going to come together. One is March 11th, and one is March 25th.、Uh, for tickets to either of those, those are my only stand up dates right now. Go to largo la.com. Hope to see you out there. And if you enjoy this podcast, as always, try a Pete's Pick, like Living Libations. You guys know I only promote things that I actually use and I absolutely love, and Living Libations is something I use every single day. A couple years ago, I realized I was being very careful about what I put in my body, food wise, but I wasn't being careful about what I was putting on my body. Of course, what you put on your body ends up in your body, it gets into your bloodstream, but I didn't really think about that. I was buying shaving creams and face washes that I thought were fancy and good because they were expensive, frankly, or had French names or sold in a kiosk at the mall. But all of these products are made by corporations that don't care about you. They're, they're filled with chemicals linked to disease and toxicity levels never intended for humans. Uh, so, I wanted to eat food where I recognize the ingredients, and I realized I wanted my skincare to be the same.、Uh, and especially for Leela, one of the products that we love for Leela because she goes to a very wild preschool where she,、uh, we almost always pick her up and she's half naked.、Uh, so, she needs to be head to toe in sunscreen. And I know there's a lot of sunscreens that claim to be natural and stuff, but if you look a little bit deeper, they're just not.、Uh, the Living Libations one is the Purest, most natural, most effective sunscreen that I've ever found for my daughter that I absolutely trust the ingredients. It's zinc based, it's called Love the Sun. That is our go to every time I order products from Living Libations, which is often, I always get at least two large bottles of the zinc based sunscreen for Leela. It works wonderfully and it's great just knowing I'm not、uh, coating her in things that she absolutely does not need. My personal regimen, I use、uh, the Ginger Exfoliating Scrub, which is not only natural and real, but it is the most powerful and badass exfoliant I've ever used in my life. I would put it against any of the ones that you get at a normal pharmacy. It is incredibly effective.、Uh, I also use their Zen Shave, which is the shave balm that is so clean and natural and moisturizing, you can actually use a dab of it as aftershave, literally just rubbing it into your skin after you shave. That's how natural and moisturizing it is. Try doing that with an anonymous neon blue goo shot from a pressurized can. Actually, don't. I don't recommend that. And at night, I use their Best Skin Ever Moisturizer, which is the product I've used of theirs for the longest. It smells great, it feels great. Use that before bed, gets your skin looking great. And the best thing about it,、uh, a bottle of it lasts a really long time because it's just two little drops, two little pumps from it. 
uh, cover your face, no problem, lasts a really, really long time. So this is a great way to support the show. If you have a skin product, a face product, body, eyes, teeth, even babies and toddlers, Living Libations, I promise, has a premium, natural, and wonderful product to replace the random chemical nightmare they sell at 7-Eleven. So show your support of the podcast. Get something small. Get something big. Either way, shows that these ads are working and uh, and keeps the lights on here at the podcast, which we really appreciate. Go to livinglibations.com and use promo code. This is for March 2022. It's Weird Fun is the promo code. Capital W, capital F. Weird Fun is the promo code at checkout for 15% off and show your support of the show. That's livinglibations.com, 15% off with the promo code Weird Fun. Uh, second up, actually, we only have two tonight. Well, this bottle of Alpha Brain is empty. I literally have four more bottles at home. I just haven't brought one back into the office. I usually shake it here at the top. Alpha Brain is one of the products that has changed my life the most in the most positive way imaginable, which is brain function. We're talking about memory. We're talking about focus. Me specifically, I'm talking about creativity. When I do stand-up, when I write scripts, when I have a Zoom, especially when you just need to be able to focus on something that might not be that interesting, like a business Zoom, uh, creative work, business work, anything that requires my brain to function at its optimum, I use Alpha Brain. I take two or three 30 minutes beforehand absolutely feel the difference absolutely notice the difference it is earth-grown ingredients it is not a stimulant it's not like caffeine in fact i sometimes take it before bed because it gives me very vivid dreams which as you know dreaming is a big part of my life and i really like that so alpha brain helps in that regard but i mention that mostly to say that it doesn't uh, elevate your blood uh, your heart rate it just helps you focus helps you work and chances are if you are a human being you do something that you would benefit if your brain was working a little bit better uh so alpha brain is really one of those products that i shout from the rooftop just in my regular life where i'm like why isn't everybody taking this if you're using a brain and you would like your brain to uh, work better and more clearly and more efficiently it absolutely changed my life i always have it in the office i'm gonna bring a new bottle in here uh actually you know what ha <laughs> suckers there was another one right behind it. I'm serious about it. I have it in my travel bags. I have it in the car. I have it in the office. I have it in the house. I have it at work. I'm never far from Alpha Brains. In fact, it's in the pockets of a lot of my jackets. Just loose Alpha Brain pills. That's how much I love it. Uh, and if you like it one-tenth as much as I do, you're going to shit your pants. And you'll show your support of the show. Go to onnit, O-N-N-I-T dot com slash weird, and you'll get 10% off everything you see on that landing page and show your support of the show. That's onnit.com slash weird. All right, everybody. Hope you enjoy the wonderful uh, Michelle Japanese breakfast. Hope to see you at Largo March 11th or March 25th for my stand-up dates. And we are going to hear from Jubilee. This is Be Sweet. And then rolling right into my conversation with Michelle. All right, everybody. Get into it.
Hi, Michelle. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. I am Pete. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for having me. Where am I finding you? Where are you? You look like you're in a rustic cabin somewhere. Yeah, I'm uh, upstate in the Adirondacks. Oh, lovely. Yeah. That's great. Are, yeah. are you recording or just relaxing? or? Um, I have been quarantining for <laughs> the past nine days oh, or no. past 10 days. Yeah, so I got COVID on the 29th of December. And so my husband and I have a house up here. And so we, we came up here to quarantine. Oh, my God. Well, at least you can do it there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's nice that we have the space up here. I'm sure. Look, I made a vow. And I hope you enjoy this. I'm not going to ask. I, sometimes when I when I uh, have a conversation with musicians, I really don't want to sound like a morning shock jock and be like, so Japanese breakfast, what, 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 what's, what's with that name? What does that name mean? So I'm not going to ask you. <laughs> okay, <I'm> great. <laughs> decidedly not asking you what Japanese breakfast means or where it comes from. Great. So you'll forgive me, but I think people will want to know how, how has it been? I, I'm sure you've talked about this as much as you've explained the name Japanese breakfast, how your COVID was. How was it? Oh, my, my illness. Yeah, your illness. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't really talked about it uh, to anyone. Oh, really? uh, I haven't like, sh- I'm not like ashamed or anything, but I haven't uh, shared my status uh, besides yeah. like with friends and stuff. But um, it was like kind of surprisingly bad because I am, you know, vaccinated with Pfizer and I recently got boosted and we... Uh, I, I was like one of the few people I know that like didn't have a very big, I didn't have any reaction to the vaccines. Like I was totally fine. So I was like, oh, if I ever got it, I think I would probably be pretty yeah, asymptomatic. Yeah. yeah and I, I, te- I tend to have like a pretty, I have a pretty good immune system and I like kick colds pretty quickly. And it was tough, you know, like I, I wasn't ever like, oh my God, I need to go to the hospital. But um it was definitely like I had a fever and I had chills and aches and it was very long. Like, and yeah. the symptoms were kind of like in waves. Like one day I had kind of a really sore throat and then it just went away. And then one day I like coughed a lot and then it went away. And then one day I had like kind of aches and chills. And, and then I just kind of like felt like this brain fro- fog. Um, and it's actually kind of funny because like I, uh, when I was younger, I used to be, um, a, che- a chess player. I I was like a big, I was like in chess club and stuff and I I, I played tournaments and, and I enjoyed it. And I haven't played in years um, until the last couple of years I started playing online chess. I played just like five minute blitz games. And usually my score is around, my rating is around like 1300, which isn't like amazing, but it's like, you know, so- solid, I would say like lower intermediate. And for the past week, I've just been playing like inexplicably really bad chess and my rating <laughs> went down like till 1100 and I was like what the hell is going on and now I realize like that I've I'm like totally recovered and I got it back it's like oh my god I had I probably had like a COVID brain fog that was like impacting my whoa you've got a new symptom for the list first of all it's not, <laughs> it's not funny to make fun of you being sick but you had the symptom bad at chess suddenly worse yeah. <laughs> That would have been the biggest bummer for me because as as a writer and a, a songwriter and a performer, I feel like brain fog might actually be the most frustrating because totally. you can't even keep your own company. You're not there, <laughs> like, right? Was that the experience? You go in for your thoughts to somewhat entertain you and they're just kind of like white noise? 
Yeah, I mean, it was just so long, you know, like mm. it was a full two weeks, I would say, of not feeling 100 percent. And I am working on the screenplay for Crying in H Mart right now. And I've kind of like been looking forward to having most of January off to focus on writing this adaptation of my book. And I was just like, oh, I mean, at some point, like after a week, like I'm sure that it'll, I'll be there and wow. able to work again. And then. Uh, yeah, it still was very, I couldn't do anything. I like was a fully sick person for probably two weeks. Wow. And do you yeah. have, I want to get back to that screenplay. I'm so, I knew that it was option to be a movie, but I didn't know you were writing it. So yeah. let's put a pin in that. Let's just wrap up the COVID with a bow. Uh, only cause I'm curious, like, did your husband get it when you got it? Or were you like, let's do chicken pox and I'll just give it to you because I'm not going to do this alone. <laughs> uh, yeah, I would say that I my husband plays in the band with me um, and I am like a fairly codependent person. I could not. I, I just I was like, at this point, if you don't have it, uh, it would be a miracle. And he had no symptoms. He took a rapid test the same day that I had already gotten my PCR test back and took another rapid test to confirm that I was positive. And he was negative. Uh, and as far as we know, he he never got it. I don't know if he had it. We think he might have had it before and we weren't sure, but uh, somehow you he mean didn't before get it. before you had it? Like he might have had it and then he had the answer. We thought we, we think that we might have had it like a few months ago because he did get really sick and we did a rapid test and it was negative, but like... We were like, maybe that was it. I don't know. It's very strange. It's interesting. I wonder if there's like, his name is Peter, right? Because yeah. it stood out because my name is Peter. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, Peter. I actually, I'm such a dingus. If I meet another Peter, I just like them right away. I don't know if you're that way with Michelle's, but I'm just kind of like, they can't be all bad. They have my name. Like, it, totally, it seems, like totally. seems like a good guy. Does your um, wife call you Pete or Peter? That's a good question. She calls me pants a lot. <laughs> like Petey Pants she calls yeah, me Pants I see but that as your screen yeah I put that up there to disarm the guests so I, <laughs> I'm like if the guy's name is Petey Pants it, there's nothing to be worried about it's gonna be fine <laughs> um you know that's interesting I think she calls me both but if she's on the phone with one of her girlfriends she'll call me Pete I, that's the most recent example because most yeah. of the time we're not using each other's names right so totally I, I don't know if I'm like you but like I definitely have codependence in my blood and if Val got it and or if I there would just be no choice like we would just do it together. we would go down together yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. And I, I don't like I, are you this way like I don't understand how <laughs> I don't understand people that aren't that way to be honest oh like, yeah like, yeah, yeah. Like, if you're dating somebody and, and you're like like the main priority on your relationship list is getting time away from them I'm like, I don't know. It's just not my relationship style. It's never been my relationship style. I've always been like, the whole point is like watching movies in bed or getting room <laughs> service together or just hanging out. Like you want to find that person that's like your always person. Is that how it is with Peter? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we even what like if it we wasn't. Were... That would be an awkward question. I... Not really. <laughs> I don't really like him. Uh, he's just good in the band. <laughs> I am. I am like we're pretty attached at, at the hip, for yeah. better or for worse. I uh, and I love that. I'm really glad. I feel like from a very young age, I was like, I've got to find my person, and like, kind of like was a serial monogamous until I like found my person. And now mm -hmm. that I found my person, and I think especially 
just because of what I went through with my family stuff, I'm so, uh, I don't know. I'm just like, I never want to not be with this person because I don't, you know, I don't, I guess I've just seen people disappear. Like I, I've lost people and, yeah. you know, I just feel like if you found someone that's your person that you love, like I want every moment to be with that person. Yeah, no, I understand. Yeah. You're, you're alluding to, you lost your mom, which I'm yeah. sorry yeah. about. And that's that reminder Tell me if this feels normal. I feel like even when I go to the hospital if and you just had COVID and, you know, when you go to the hospital, it's like you have a freedom pass and you go to the hospital and you're like, are you going to stamp my freedom pass so I can go back out there and never think about the hospital? Like, and never think about uh, yeah, you know yeah. Saying? So when you lose somebody, it's this weird wake up call to everybody that we are like flowers, like human beings are like flowers. Yeah. We're beautiful. We're resilient. Like we'll grow in the crack of a sidewalk, but you can also just sort of like step on one or lose one so, so easily. And it sounds like that informed your relationship. Were, were you dating Peter before? I, I think you were dating before your mom passed. Is that right? Yeah. We had been dating for, I think about a year and a half. Um, and we actually got, married while she was sick um so I'm an only child and my mom and I were really close and I kind of was just like well so much bad stuff had happened like over the course of her illness where it was just like there's nothing good there's just nothing good to look forward to and you know getting married was like never really an important thing for me but I knew it was a really important thing for my mom and so we threw a wedding in three weeks uh and so she was she actually is this in the movie, I hope? This, this yeah, great, uh, this, this is in the book. I'm trying to write Peter out of the movie, which is uh, <laughs> maybe the only time that uh, I, I'm like into the separation uh, there. That's interesting. But um, Why? Why? Um, I just feel like there's the main story. I mean, I think that what interested... What's the best way to explain this? I feel like in order for me to make my way back into this book uh, in it, it is to tell a slightly different story. And for the memoir, it was important for me to just really get down what happened and everything that happened uh, and think of the structure later. And you probably know this, but like so much of writing a screenplay is like knowing the full uh, structure beforehand and like sort of writing towards the end. And I was really... Um, reluctant when I was writing the book uh, to talk at all about my music career because I felt like the main, it wasn't a book about like how I became Japanese breakfast. It was a book about watching, you know, my relationship with my mom and, and um, you know, like watching her health deteriorate and living as a caretaker. Um, and then, you know, so for me, like writing the screenplay, I, I, I feel like I, the love story there for me is, is actually about, um, being a musician and and that ended up being it's a, a larger part of this oh, movie narrative we'll see we'll see if it sticks i know that like my producers like are like are you sure you don't want to have him be a part of the story but for me like I, I feel like the real heart of the narrative as a screenplay is is um the music is 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 finding a way um it's i guess like my mom you know, was not very excited for me to be a musician. And like the, the narrative arc of that is kind of interesting. Cause like my mom never got, got to see me become a, a successful musician. 
it only happened after she passed away. And, mm. and so I wanted to, I don't know, I think that that's a, a really beautiful story in it, of itself. And it, it was kind of what I wanted to focus on with, with the movie, but we'll see how it's that really works out. Well, you know, you got to take it both ways. One, I'm saying, oh, a, obviously you see it like a hospital room wedding. Like that's the movie version is you have the wedding in the hospital. But, so that's that's a vote, like I'm with your producers, you should do it. But it might right. also be a vote against it because you're like, maybe we've seen that. You know what I mean? Maybe the reason that came to me so quickly, like, oh, that sounds like a movie moment. Like your mom is passing, totally. we're going to do this. So maybe your instincts, I, 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 Val is writing a screenplay too. Oh, cool. I'm always just like, do what you want to do. I'm, I'm not telling this to you. It sounds like you're steady in your feet. But I'm just like, you're... The more unique you are, the less like anyone else you are. And, th- and that's yeah. a powerful thing. Yeah. Screenplay. Tell me a little bit about your mom not wanting you to be a musician and how that resolved. I'm interested. Um, I think that, you know, I, I became interested in music when I was 15, 16. And I started playing the guitar and writing songs uh, around that time and, and became, you know, really felt hard in love with it. And you know, I think my mom, like like any parent, is just kind of like, oh, well, that's, you know, a little, it's an unrealistic path. And it's like, okay, if you want to do that, but like, you should have a backup plan. It's very important that you go to college and, you know, you can do music on the side. If it takes off, it takes off. And, you know, as a, as a teenager, that was, you know, very offensive to me. <laughs> like, how dare you not believe it? But, you know, she was worried about like the financial reality of, of being a musician and, you know, like, any parents, I think, just wanted me to be aware of, like, the, those realities and also the kind of, like, mental torment that that a lot of artists go through. Um, and, yeah, so, I, you know, I that was what she was she was worried about. Oh, yeah. The, no part of me is, like, your mom sounds uh, harsh yeah, or yeah. strange. That's completely normal. In fact, I remember thinking it was weird that my parents didn't object to me wanting to be a comedian. Yeah. But... Like you, if they had, I would have been offended. I would have been, <laughs> how can you not see that this is going straight to the top? Yeah. So 14 isn't that early to get into it. You Tell me what what got you into music? What was the mm-hmm. album or the band? And then what was it like when you were learning to play the guitar? Did it come quickly? And, and how soon did you put together a band? All of that stuff. Very interesting. Um, I think that I was probably like in eighth grade or ninth grade when I was like, I'm going to get into music now. Um, and I think <laughs> like it's started... as an identity builder. Totally, like, totally, totally, yeah. totally. My yeah. parents weren't like big music fans. Like we didn't really listen to much music at home. Um, I think my dad had some like Motown compilations and Fleetwood Mac albums, but we weren't like music lover household. Same. Yeah. Same. And so I, you know, like was I think I, it was a thing where I was like construct, you know, going through like constructing an identity as as you do when you're younger. And I was like, I want to be the kind of person that's just into music. And so I asked for like all of these like classic rock CDs because I thought that that's like what being into music, like that's what you yes. listen to when you're into music. Yes. Um. So I so had you're like you're rocking. I'm listening to like Janis Joplin and like <laughs> okay. Led Zeppelin and uh, and Bob Dylan and Neil Young and like you know. I just, mean, you picked some really good ones. Did yeah, you yeah. Help? I was just like. Um, I don't, I don't know where I came up with the idea to like get all of these like old, like dad rock classics, but, um, <laughs> that was like what I was like, oh, this is what people who are into music are into. Yeah. And I grew up in Eugene, Oregon, which is in the Pacific Northwest. And so like through friends, 
I got 14, 15, 16, I started getting into like Built to Spill and Modest Mouse and Elliot Smith and more like indie kind of bands. Um, and that's when I sort of began forming the taste that would sort of stick with me and the kind of music that I wanted to write. And I think um, when I was like 15 or 16, I went to a coffee shop and I saw like my first DIY show with just like kids that went to my school that were upperclassmen and you know, that was the first moment that I was like, oh, I can do this. Like these kids that I know are like playing. And it wasn't even like, oh, I want to be like, um, like I wasn't like, I want to be like Neil Young or like, I want to be like, I don't know, like Col- like some huge band. I was like, I just love like DIY coffee shop, like scene. I want to do this. Um, and that was how I sort of got into it. And I would never say I was like a great guitar player, but it was pretty much just, I, I always wanted to use music as like a vehicle for songwriting. Like guitar playing was just like, I don't care about being a great guitar player. I want to use it to write songs. So it was pretty much like, as soon as I learned my first three chords, I was like, I'm, I'm a songwriter now and was writing yeah. songs like really quickly and loved it. And, uh, had a very like kind of business oriented mind about it. Like I really wanted to like book shows and like hang up posters. And I like loved that whole world that came with being like a DIY musician. Yeah. It's funny. That strikes me. Cause I was in bands when I was uh, that age too. And it was something you could do. And that yeah. was really exciting. You know what totally. I mean? Like, I think people think about that age and there's like, there's so many things you could do. And I'm like, didn't feel that way. Like when I saw a band, I didn't have the same experience as you, but when you see people your age that are in a band, you're like, Oh my God, that's an option. And I have to imagine they weren't amazing. And that in itself is sort of encouraging. It's like, oh, you can do it and you don't have to be amazing. Was that how you, was that encouraging? Like to be like, we can just go. Totally, because I think even then, like there was something just so charming and unique about uh, what all, I, I remember it was three of them and like they, it, you know, like there are parts That's of it, I'm sure it's, well, no, I mean, there were three different solo acts. Oh, okay. So it was probably, like, even more embarrassing. But, like, it was so incredible that, like, three people were, like, putting themselves out there in that yes. that way. And they each, like, had a very unique voice and style. And none of them had particularly great singing voices. They were all kind of, like, wordy, nerdy people. Um, and that was, like, the kind of music that I was into, too, because I'd always been very self-conscious of my voice. And uh, I remember being really into, like, musicians like Joanna Newsom and Kimio Dawson who were like more focused on like the sort of literary end of things and um w- wouldn't be considered as having like the most objectively beautiful voices and and that was but there was something so unique about their style that made me feel like that was something that I could do Bob Dylan too yeah Bob Dylan Neil Young has a weird voice I've heard also like I agree Tom Petty has a weird voice I'm just I feel like all of my <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I feel like, yeah, besides like the Eagles, uh, most of those like pretty weird voices. Well, you mentioned Elliot, like the thing that someone sent to me, I forget who it was. It was some musician, but they were like, you wouldn't want Tom Petty doing the backing vocals. Yeah, yeah. And it's the same with Elliot. You wouldn't want Elliot Smith doing your back. I know he does his own backing vocals, but like it's too distinct. And Modest Mouse too is like, totally. what is going on here? Totally. Kings of Leon is like, why is... Not why is this guy, but somebody might be like, why is this guy, his voice is cracking and all this stuff. It's one of my favorite voices. In fact, I only listen to distinct uh, front people. Like they need to have a unique voice. But we were laughing at how bad, not really, 
but how bad it would, it would be fair to think Bob Dylan's voice was bad. I drew, I, I know you had something in the car, uh, the New Yorker and I used to submit cartoons to the New Yorker. Oh, cool. I, it, it's, it was really cool. And I remember they were, the editor, Bob Mankoff said to me, it was like, you can't draw, but not in the way that Bob Dylan can't sing. Like you, <laughs> <laughs> he was like, even your bad drawing isn't interesting enough. Like at least yeah, yeah. different, be interesting enough to be Bob Dylan. So really interesting. I'm, I'm curious about being 14, 15, seeing the singer songwriters, having that literary urge and wanting to get your feelings out there. You know, did you feel seen at that age? I don't think any of us really did, but did you feel particularly unseen that you were like, where do they get a load of me? I can't, I need to get this stuff out there because I don't feel like anybody really knows me. It was that part of the drive. Yeah. I mean, I think I've always been like kind of a ham. Like I've always been like sort of uh, an attention seeking only child. So it became like, it was very natural for me to go after, you know, like I felt like this entitlement to that type of attention, I think. And, you know, I think like most artists, there are moments where you're just like, I am a fucking genius. <laughs> and then there are moments where you're like, I'm, I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm a disaster. Um, so I think there was like always that kind of like oscillating feeling, uh, yes. you know, but, you know, at the time, like I came from like a s- small town and there wasn't really any other girl, girl my age that was doing that kind of thing. So I felt like very special that I was, uh, out there doing it. And I, I feel like I was able to like kind of get ahead pretty quickly or, or at least it felt that way at the time. I love that. Yeah. As a comedian, I talk about that all the time. It's, it's gotta be, you can't be so confident that you think everything you do it's a condition we call laughter ears. Somebody will bomb and they'll get off and they thought they had a great set. That's too much, but you need to have some delusion. You keep it to yourself. Sometimes when I'm on stage and, and it's not going well, I go, you should hear how it's going up here. Like you should <laughs> yeah, you yeah. heard the laughs I thought I should be getting. You would lock me away. Like you would think yeah. the same. And that energy is actually really helpful I mean, wouldn't you say there needs to be a sort of, uh, I would call it mania, a sort of um, creative tsunami or burst or white light that you that you believe in more than you believe in the people that are going to say, you'll never make it as a musician or worse, you don't belong on stage or who are you to get up there? Would you agree? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think a lot of artists like have to be... Uh, very judgmental people about everyone and that includes themselves above all you know so I think that when you feel like oh something I'm doing is good it has to be really good because you're so judgmental that every you know like it's a rare thing that you are aware of Mm -hmm. um yeah I don't know how the idea of being like a comedian is like so horrific to me like it feels like the absolute like most vulnerable thing that you could really? do. I can't imagine I, like your lyrics. Are funny. <laughs> I, I I know you. Not all. I don't mean they're funny. Like the ones that aren't supposed to be funny. I mean, <laughs> when you're being funny, I I think it's really funny. Like I just watched the boyish video. Oh, thank you. I loved it. Yeah, I thought it was really great. I'd love to talk about that. I I thought. I I, I hope this was intentional. It wasn't like haha funny, but it made me laugh when she's playing the solo or the refrain, I don't know if you call it solo, she's playing the, the girl in the, in the crowd is imagining that she's playing the guitar, but she's not playing it. 
made me laugh sort of <laughs> with delight, not like, oh, look, she can't play, but like, yeah, she's she's imagining that she's up there and she doesn't know how to play guitar. <laughs> so she's just sort of, the music's playing, but her hand isn't moving. It really delighted me. I thought that, oh, that was you. a good comic instinct. Um, and just to see what you think about it, Brian Regan, who's one of my favorite comedians of all time, said that comedy is like music. I've said this a million times except that you're playing the audience mm. and there really is a rhythm to it. I, I tap my foot when I do stand up or even oh, wow. acting there's, I really feel like there's a metronome going of like, that's established by the audience. Mm. And I think that's why so many musicians are called towards the pattern between shows or being funny, or they end up being funny or becoming funny because it's another song to play. You're just playing it with their, Laughter. I, I wonder if you've, are, are, do you do patter or, or do you chit chat between songs when you perform live or do you, have you ever tried to be funny in that way? Um, I think when I was, I think earlier on, I, there was more banter. Uh, I feel like there's actually a number of comics have like made fun of musicians because like, they have such an easy audience, you know, <laughs> like, like we, we resent that you can do it regardless of the attention of the crowd. But, right, right. But I, I feel guys, like yeah, go I feel like you guys resent that like we can just say anything and the crowd will laugh because we oh. we already have them. You know what I mean? Like they like you can say something completely unfunny oh and it's a very God. easy crowd because they you're you're beloved in this different way where like they're not expecting to be made laugh, but what everything that you say is is funny to them. 100%. And I I feel like musicians should resent comedians more because you have no gear to carry. <laughs> No, you are. I think it's all, really incredible that like you can do like eight nights in like the same kind of venue that we play and not yeah. carry, have to carry in anything. <laughs> no, that was a Jerry Seinfeld thing. He signed the wall at some famous venue and he was like, everything else was all these bands. And he was like, I'm just a guy. I just go out and stand there. Also, if you do knack or like the college circuit, you don't have to split the money. You're only making exactly 700 bucks or something. Yeah. And you have to pay for your own travel. If you have a band, this is why you see so many bands, just the, the front person will go out because it doesn't make sense to bring the band. Right, right. I thought you were going to say bands resent comedians because there's assumption that what we say is funny and we have this like authority. It's like, if you're not laughing, you're stupid because I'm a comedian and this is my job. Once you're established, um, because it, there sometimes people laugh and I, I'm like, Oh, I didn't even know that was funny, but it might've just been my cadence or I paused yeah, or whatever. Yeah. But I just saw Wilco and not, not to put down Jeff Tweedy, I thought he was great, but I was watching this juiced up crowd. And when he talked to them, I mean, it's it felt like they were in a hotel bed and they were laying and yeah, like they yeah. just made love and they're staring in his eyes. And, and he goes, you know, the funny thing about a song, funny thing about a song is it's three chords. And then there's a bridge and then they all laugh or whatever it was. And I'm like, these people are in love. Like it's yeah, not yeah, yeah. fair. It's not fair. Same with a very big comedian though. This is why comedians get often get less funny. The more, the bigger they are, the less they have to work for it. And then they stop working for it. Then they can just be, they, they don't have to fight as much. We're funnier when we have a knife in our teeth swinging on a rope from one boat to another. Like that's the funniest time. Yeah. Um, what about, I'm interested in you saying you were an only child and right now we only have one baby and, and she, she's got that hammy thing. And, and there's something about having two parents 
that you control. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? Like she has to feel powerful. I think she does feel powerful. What do you, what do you make of your, your only childness leading to a natural desire? I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it seems like you kind of, and let's put aside the, the idea that being the center of attention is a bad thing. You're used to being the center of attention. So then it feels natural. You go out into the world and you're like, Hey, why isn't everyone looking at me? And by the way, I have a brother, but I felt that way. I absolutely <laughs> felt that way. I was like, what the fuck's going on? Yeah. I mean, I don't think until I wrote this book, I really analyzed what being an only child did to me and and how it, it might've impacted me. Um, I was raised by a home, a mom who's a homemaker. So I really got like her undivided attention. And so much of the book is about how our relationship was really, you know, began that way. And, and I think how that, how much that impacted our relationship. Um, so I think it's, were, were you, sorry to interrupt, were you closer because it was, we were both right. We were simultaneously like sparring all the time. And also like in like, um, just like un endlessly devoted to one another very very close and uh but you know also like so in each other's hair and I also kind of grew up like in the woods like outside of town so I was like very um uh like beholden to her attention you know like uh, even even if I didn't want you know even if she drove me crazy like if I, I would be left alone without her in a way oh, so I had sorry so I finished that sentence you're giving Oh, no, I, I, I think that, like, I was just very beholden to her, like, a, affection and her attention because if, if, without it, I was, like, alone, you know? So I spent so much time alone, and I think that really impacted me as as, uh, as an artist, both for someone who's, like, constantly not getting but also getting attention all the time. This is, I'm very similar. Again, I had a brother, but my brother sort of, I, I would say this if he was here, he sort of figured out that you could, like, go to parties and stuff. For, I, I still don't know what he was doing. <laughs> I was at home and I was bored and I was, I think this is why you and I are both the relationship style that we have Mm -hmm. not to be too Freudian, but it, it it comes from that first love, which is the, yeah. Yeah. And like love to her was spending time together, was being together. And like, and that's how I express love to Val. I'm like, look, I'm around. I'm, I I like being around. It's all stuff that I learned as a child. And then did that, I'm sort of shifting gears here, but like, did that attention that she gave you that love, I would say for me, it emboldened me to become a performer because I was like, I know my mom loves me no matter what. So I, (laughs) I can go to Chicago and entertain strangers. Like I flew halfway across the country. And I think it was because I had sort of like magic mom love in my pocket. Mm, That's so sweet. (laughs) Um... you feel that? I know you mentioned bickering, so I don't want to make it sound like it was just, just uh, roses and candy, but I mean, like you knew you were good. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know exactly. I mean, I think that both of my parents um, are were like very like loud in your face type of people. So I think mm-hmm. that I naturally kind of like had that in me because I was raised that way, very unafraid. Um, mm. But I don't, yeah, I don't know. I'm sure that was part of it was just, um, I felt very special, like growing up. My, my, my family made me feel very special growing up. So I'm sure that that really encouraged me, uh, to to feel entitled to do whatever I wanted to do and go after it. That's like a a really good 
byproduct. I, I, you're talking to a father of a girl hmm. and like, I'm watching her feel powerful and, and fearless. And I'm like, I, I, it's almost like from another generation or maybe it's this generation. It's like, you don't want to spoil them, but I'm like, I want her to feel like she can do anything. I, it's just really sweet. I, I bet your, your parent, I know your mom passed, but they must've been thrilled <laughs> how you turned out. Cause that's exactly what I want. No. Is to feel that, that it's, it's more than confidence. It's just like a sure footedness that the world isn't something to be afraid of. Tell totally. me, tell me something. How were they um, in your face? How were they louder than other parents? When did you get the oh sense? <laughs> when did you get the sense that you're like, Oh, my parents have a different style. Um, my mom was like a very charismatic woman. And I, I used to feel like I was a lot more like my dad growing up. And, and now I see a lot of the similarities that I, I get from my mom where she was a very social person and she was very on. Uh, but she also like didn't, she she only like went out when she could be on, which I'm very similar in that way where like I don't, I tend to not like going out that much unless I'm like going to be at my peak or whatever. You are and, you're stealing something right from my brain. <laughs> I did a podcast yesterday and that's what we were talking about is like, I don't want people to see me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel like being seen. <laughs> totally. And I think that that's like what can take a lot out of me as a, as a touring musician is because like, it's sort of like you have to throw up, be the host of a party like six nights out of the week. And so when I'm not on stage, I tend to like disappear and not be as social as the rest of my band or my crew, because I feel like I have to like store that yeah. energy away and, yeah. and save it for like this one hour, um, which and I'm sure you can relate to as a comedian, I, especially because like you absolutely. are literally hosting a party. You have to be the most interesting person at the yeah. party telling yeah. the, the, the most charming stories. Um, but my mom was like kind of, uh, a performer in that way where she wasn't a particular, like she didn't, I wouldn't say that she like would go out often, but when she did, like she ha had this sort of magnetism and she was very personable, very quick to like put a hand on your shoulder, or, like mm. notice things about you and like coax like a certain type of energy out of you. Um, and that was a kind of boldness of her character. My so dad. She, so she was well liked, like people enjoyed. She was well liked. Yeah. yeah. And she's very honest and very like, um, I don't know. She's just charming in, in, in that way. Was in this blunt? <laughs> very mom, blunt. Yeah. My mom is blunt. My mom is, she just calls people. I mean, it's completely inappropriate. Luckily she's 80 now. So she gets like the kooky old woman card to play. But like my whole life, she's been that way. I remember yeah. when she was 35 or whatever. Not, not really. I remember when she was 45 and she would just say not this, but she'd be like, well, you have a comb over. Like she would just, she'd <laughs> yeah, be the yeah. well, yeah, 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 your hair looks weird because it's a comb over, Jerry. Right, and like, right. <laughs> Jesus, mom. But also that honesty and that bluntness, maybe that's something you got from her too, because totally. there you are in your writing and in your book, you don't seem to, neither do I, have a problem. It almost excites me if I'm like getting to something that makes me uncomfortable I know I'm onto something good. Do you share in that instinct? Are you like, oh, we're getting close to the nerve. This must be art. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there were, uh, I think there, there's a line in the book that I really love. That's actually about my, it's, it's mainly about my relationship with food and my mother. And uh, one of the lines is, you know, while I struggled to be good, I excelled at being courageous. 
And I think that in my art, that's sort of like how I feel in a way where it's just like, well, maybe I'm not like great. I'm not like Nabokov or like Steinbeck, but I am courageous and I can go there and I can be, I can share something very private and vulnerable in this way, uh, freely in this way that, that maybe not everyone else is willing to do. And I felt like that was like my, my strength in, in all of this. That's Mike Birbiglia. Do you, have you heard of the comedian Mike Birbiglia? He's great. He said to me when I was writing my uh, TV show, he would always remind me, he goes, if you're not telling secrets, who cares? And I was like, <laughs> yeah. that is, and I watched so many things where I'm like, you're not telling secrets. This sucks. <laughs> I, 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 um, not to put it down, but I watched the Lucy and Desi movie about I Love Lucy and there just weren't um, enough secrets for me. It, yeah. It too polished. Yeah. Too much of a, a, like a mythology of like a Paul Bunyan type that was like, Lucy didn't take shit from anybody. And I'm like, I need not, not just because she's a woman, anybody in that position is going to have those moments of breakdown Mm. where where they're, where they don't feel that way. But that whole movie, she was just like, shut up, see, cause that's how it's going to be. And I was like, these aren't secrets. This is a myth. You're telling me a myth. And and I'm not in this for the myths. I'm in this for, this is probably why we both like Elliot Smith. It's just secrets. It's just, yeah. it's just one of my favorite songs, uh, St. Ides to Heaven, is apparently just about him getting high on meth and walking around. You know, I'm just <laughs> like, thank you. I, that, I, I've never done methamphetamines, uh, but I have walked around drunk and I kind of relate to this song and I love it. That that's that's what it was. I also <laughs> interrupted for this tangent. You were about to tell me about your dad and how he went. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's funny because in a way, like my mom could be very withholding and was actually kind of she was a very blunt person, but very private about her own life in this way that my dad was absolutely not. Uh, My dad was very, very open. And I think part of the reason why it's always felt easy for me to be that way is because it comes very naturally. A lot of like the press around the book was just like, how did you share feel comfortable sharing all this stuff? And honestly, I was like, I'm. I feel more of just like, should I be like more embarrassed of like how deeply I went in, into that than I am because I didn't, yeah. I didn't feel like it felt very like second nature to me to, to go there. And I think that part of it is having practice as a musician where I always felt like I did hide these secrets in my music. It, they were just less noticeable because they were diverse, you know, and they're like more like riddles than when you write prose, I think. Mm-hmm. I, this is obnoxious, but I love something called the Enneagram. And I bet, I think you might be a four, which is the individualist. And, and I'm, I have a four wing. This sounds like Scientology. It's not, <laughs> I have a four wing. So I love that too. I have this craving for depth, my own and other people's. Mm. And it, it, I, I'm not, I hope I'm not obnoxious about it. Like I can do small talk too, but like if someone starts telling me about their divorce or someone starts telling me about their like you mentioned food, it sounded like you, maybe you had a good relationship with food, but somebody wants to tell me like, Val and I both struggle. Like if we eat a, get a pizza, we have to eat the entire pizza. It's just this weird addiction that we have. So it's like, we're like, oh, so we just can't have pizza in the house. Like some people are about liquor. Um, that's the sort of depth that just lights me up. Like if you want yeah. to tell me that you struggle with eating too much, I'm just, I'm on the edge of my seat. What did, what did you mean when you said food? I know you love Korean food. Uh, Is that what you meant? Did you have a special relationship because she cooked? I know she's from Korea. Yeah. I mean, uh, so I'm half Korean, uh, half Caucasian American. And um, I, 
was like I had a very wonderful relationship with food where um, I was just exposed to thing a lot of different types of food very early. Both my mom and my dad were pretty adventurous eaters, so I would you know knew how to break down a lobster when I was like five years old. I knew how to like. <laughs> eat like live like octopus and um you know I was very daring because it was very normal for me because I always grew up with two meals on the table it was always a Korean meal an American meal for my dad and I was always eating between them and I was yeah I was really you know my dad loved Korean food but it was you know he couldn't eat it every day and my mom wanted to eat Korean food every day so she would always make two meals and I would kind of get to like naturally eat whatever I wanted from the the two of them. Um, And I used to go to Korea every other summer with my mom for uh, three to five weeks. And uh, so from a very young age, I was traveling and and exposed to a lot of different types of food and, and um, yeah. And I feel like my parents uh, were not like, uh, what's what's the word? They, They were not like very, neither one of them went to college they weren't very like uh well read or or like exposed to a lot of art so in a lot of ways like what they spent their money on were like these these different types of food like so I I feel like I had I was like treated to a lot of like sort of daring food from an early age and encouraged courage to you know my both of my parents just loved food so I just from a young age like really loved food um and and had a pretty like expansive uh courageous palate yeah. Let me ask you this because my mom is an immigrant as well. She's from Lithuania. Uh, she moved to the States when she was seven and she, I know all immigrants are different, but I have a feeling there might be an overlap here. My mom, if we eat a lobster together, she's breaking off the legs and she's sucking the meat out of the legs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she taught me, I, I, I mostly, it's hard to explain what I eat. I don't eat meat 99% of the time. But if I do eat a chicken wing, I'm eating the cartilage because my mom taught me to like uh, yeah, yeah. bite everything off of it. And totally. I, I, was your mom, like Americans just don't do that sort of stuff as much. I'm wondering, did you get even that, like the depth of how much you eat and how you eat? Or what is your what does that make you think of? It doesn't have to be exactly that. Um, it's funny. I remember my mom telling me the story about like her family and how if they like got a fish, like the the dad got or like the kids get like the body and the dad gets the head and the mom gets the tail just like the priorities or whatever but there's a moment in my screenplay like also where like I remember whenever my mom would cut fruit she would cut the pieces for me and then she would eat from the core and I remember watching her mom do that for her of just like the the mom like kind of gets all of the like leftover bits uh, and like prioritizes like the kid uh getting you know the the real meat of a thing um so that's so what sweet. makes that's what that makes me think of um I rob delaney did this podcast many years ago and he had just had uh, one of his children and he was like i'd never known it if they wanted my if they were hungry i'd cut off my hand and just give it to them like it wouldn't yeah. be a big deal and I, I totally, when Leela, that's my daughter, wants something, I'm not tooting my own horn. I'm just saying something happens. I could be eating my favorite thing in the world and it could be the rarest thing in the world, like the <laughs> special aged, whatever. And if she wants it, I just give it to her because I think I had a mom like you, which was like, yeah. that's how you, that's how you show love. It's like a love yeah. language yeah, yeah. is the food. Um Okay, a lot of, lot of irons in the fire, a lot of things to keep talking about, but you were on your dad. We were starting to talk about your dad. Uh, and what, I, I think we got back to your mom, and I want to talk about those trips to Korea, but 
was he frank? What what drew them together? Were they like peas in the pot, or were they opposites? They were very different, I think. Um, but they were both. I don't know what drew them together. My dad met my mom in Seoul. Uh, he Why was used, he there? He used to sell cars to the military. Um, he had kind of like a troubled upbringing and was a drug addict for a time and then was arrested. When he got out, uh, he was kind of like, I, I'm going to relapse if I don't like just leave. Um, and so he found an, uh, a help, like a want, like an ad in the newspaper that was just like, uh, opportunity abroad. And it was a training program in Seoul, Korea, selling cars to the military. And my mom worked at the hotel that he stayed at. And no she was, <laughs> she was apparently like the first Korean woman he'd ever met. And like, he asked her out on a day, date every day for a month. And then they, Dated for like three, they dated for like three months and then they got married and they were married for like almost 30 years, I think. Romance. Yeah. And did they get along? They did. Yeah. I think that they had like a really um, good like relationship. (laughs) It's really interesting. I'm not trying to force this, but it's funny that your dad sort of got married during a, a time of hardship. And then you also got married during a time of hardship. It's like that, that looking for the stability and it's, it's, you know what I'm saying? Like he, totally. was, he was an addict. He was like, I need to get on course. He falls in love. He gets married. And it, it's a way of going like, he was sort of the dying person in, in that situation. He was watching himself deteriorate and then he rescued himself with love. And, and, and you did something sort of similar. Am I forcing that parallel or does that resonate? Um, I've definitely never thought of it that way um but i think that that is is valid and and interesting i mean i i do think that those were some like very fruitful years for him where he really turned his his life around during that time he became like quite a successful car salesman yeah i just see him selling jeeps i don't understand what other i know he was very upset with me because <laughs> i i in the book i say that he was a used car salesman and he was like i expose like quite a bit about <laughs> my whole family in the book and and you know that was what he was mad about <laughs> that was what he was like upset about he was like you asked john amasek or what it was like to sell chrysler in the 80s and you know i was just like oh. <laughs> No one cares. It's still not like a very like romantic thing to say, sell new cars to the military. That is so funny. <laughs> yeah, that's not a big difference, Dad. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. My, my, I wrote a memoir as well. And, and my, I wrote what I was like, I'm spilling the beans. Like my family fought every night and, mm. and I, I, we never really talk about it. And it, there it is in the book. And the only thing they ever said about it, which I found deeply offensive, which I think you would too, is I talk about being an atheist briefly in the book. And, uh, and my dad just was like, yeah, he was, he, Peter was never an atheist. He's just saying <laughs> this in front of me. I'm like, dad, I wrote a book. Like you, you, you <laughs> I, see, I'm different from you. I really didn't feel seen in certain ways. So I mm. wanted to put it in writing yeah. to force them to read it. Like you must read that. Sometimes I had doubts and sometimes I had these feelings and sometimes I could be competitive or jealous or drunk or whatever it might be. And they read it. And that's, that was their one takeaway. <laughs> it's like, was a negation 
Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I, I completely understand how parents can pick up what you didn't expect them to pick up. Tell me about the trips to Korea. That sounds like an incredible opportunity to bond. My mom and I have always talked about going to Lithuania, but she is not an adventurous person. And uh, it doesn't sound <laughs> like as good of an idea as I hope it was <laughs> for you to go on these trips with your mom. Um, yeah, it was a really formative part of my childhood. My mom's, you know, immigrated to the U.S. when I was a year old. I was actually born in Seoul. And then we came to the States when she, I guess, was 31. Uh, and um yeah, so like her two sisters and her mom and my cousin lived there. And it was very, very different from like, not just like it being another country, but, uh, you know, I grew up an only child, like in the woods with like a, th- you know, three person family. And then there it was like, I was in a big city uh, with like five people in a tiny apartment. And so it was just like a delightful uh, experience, like change of pace for me, like just yeah. to be in a city and like, walk to a convenience store and like be surrounded by like uh, other people to pay attention to me. And um, yeah, yeah it was like, thank you for that honesty. Yeah. It was exactly like, how I felt when I went abroad to study. I was like, look at all these strangers that I can delight. Yes. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Please. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, especially just like even my family of just like there being like my cousin and you know, who's like kind of like an older brother for me and like my aunts and my grandma and, uh, it was just a really wonderful thing. And I, and I, I realized like later on that it really prepped me for, you know, being a very experienced traveler. Like I, you know, from a very young age, I knew what it was like to take a plane, like 16 hours and, you know, what, what it was like to be in a city where you didn't speak the language and, and see, uh, another continent. So, you know, it was surprising to me later to learn that there are some people who get quite nervous about traveling to places that they can, where they can't speak the language or like, don't know what they're ordering and that kind of thing where that's always been very comfortable for me. Oh, that's so interesting. How would you order if you were alone in, in South Korea, what would that look like? Is there any English happening or are we pointing? Are we pointing to other tables? I would say that I'm, I have like the uh, like speaking skills of maybe like a two year old. So I can get by. And actually I like, I would say that I'm probably at my best when I am ordering food, but beyond that, it's, it's very, it's difficult for me, but you know, most people in Korea speak, English. So it's very easy oh, okay. to, to get around. And my Korean is like decent enough to get by. That totally makes sense, by the way, because that is the language that is tied to a reward. I mean, my when we go to the restaurant, any restaurant with our daughter, she's going like, and French fries. <laughs> like, I, like, she's like, <laughs> like adding to the order. And we're like, no, Wait, how no, old is she? She's 21. I'm just kidding. She's three. <laughs> she's three years old. Um, it is. We just went on a walk and I, I just got her, her first spinach croissant which she didn't want to eat because she's usually good about eating spinach, but she didn't want it because it had spinach in it. And it made me so happy to watch her eat it. Again, we're back to the food and just watching her enjoy something that I enjoyed when I was her age. That was the first time I ate something and I was like, I do like spinach. Cause of course it's like three parts cheese to one part spinach. Yeah. So, I don't know if I've had a spinach croissant. I, I think it's an East coast thing. Cause really? Um, yeah. In Boston, I remember that it was just like a staple, at least in the nineties, you would see them everywhere (laughs) and you just, and now I come out here, you never see them, but there's a coffee place in my neighborhood that had it. And I was like, this is, this is a good moment. This is a good day. That's so funny. I, I made Spanakopita today, which is kind of like, it's kind of like a spinach croissant. I feel like. Really? Are you guys cooking up there? Are you, did you get that? 
Uh, uh, yeah, I feel like now that I have like all this time on my hands, I uh, have been have been cooking a lot. I don't. I I had to quarantine by myself for fourteen days, and it was not easy. I'm glad you guys can cook. Wait, did you also get sick, or you had to do it for something? Else? It was it was to be on uh, set for something. I had to quarantine uh... before I went. This was sort of like right in the middle of the first. Isn't it funny that we have to break it down? This yeah. is pre-Delta, um, pre-Omicron. Yeah. <laughs> it was like OG uh, COVID and I loved it in the way that I imagine, uh, you know, I like being alone, but then like four days in, there's sort of like a fuck this wall. <laughs> and, and you're like this, oh wow, I almost said like your dad, but like your dad, I realized if I don't like get my shit together, this could just go, a bad direction. Oh, I know that's yeah. sort of forced to yeah, say like yeah. your dad, but that's when I was like, if I don't like, I got, it, I had a treadmill. I was like, I have to like walk four miles a day, or all I'm going to do is eat pizza. Yeah, gotta, yeah, I don't drink anymore, or I just would have been drunk the whole time. Yeah, um, but it could have gone bad. Luckily, I stayed. I stayed productive. Let's let's talk a little bit about the record, just because I think that's what people are. I, I just. I, I would love to keep talking about your family. Um, <laughs> I have one question. I think it's wonderful. Congratulations on the nominations, by the Thank way. you. Thank you. So exciting. I'm sorry we're not doing this in person, but Omicron. Um, I had one question. I was listening to it this morning, the, the, the newest release. Forgive me for I'm forgetting the name of the, t- of the record. Jubilee. Uh, Jubilee. When you listen on Spotify, you're just on the, a picture. Like I could tell you the picture of it. <laughs> and to be fair, like it was a big thing for me to not have any text on the, on the cover. So I, I haven't helped anyone. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's okay. Uh, I loved it. And I had no, like boyish, boyish isn't on Jubilee, right? No, that's on soft sounds from another planet. It was the one so, before it. So Soft Sounds, I don't know if the whole record was this way, but that is, I understand that song. You play me boyish. I loved it. You went all these, entertainment for me is all about surprise. And you surprised me and it made me laugh. And I love it. Thank you. And it is a guitar and it's a bass and it's another guitar and it's drums. (laughs) I understand it. I Mm. listen to Jubilee and I'm like, what the fuck is going on here? In (laughs) in the good way. Meaning Mm, if you put me in a room with those instruments, I could kind of make a song sort of like Jubilee, uh, mm. like, like boyish. I could not do anything like Jubilee. And that oh, thank leads you. me. Yeah, that's, that is cool. Yeah. That leads me to my question. I know you're writing it and I know you're doing the music. Are you, are you arranging? Like at one point something's being plucked. It sounds like violins are being plucked. And I'm like, did you arrange every element or did you have some incredible collaborator? Tell me, tell me about the process of making, what do you call it? It's like, a, a, I'm forgetting what the genre that people call your music. Um, I had it written down. Where is it? Experimental pop. There it is. Mm. Experimental pop record like this. What is that process like? Are you, you can't, play every instrument that's on the record are you singing it to people are you arranging it tell me about the process very interesting yeah um it's both I arrange a lot of it myself and also I have a wonderful collaborator named Craig Hendricks who's our live drummer and has co-produced both Jubilee and and our last album Soft Sounds from Another Planet with me and I think this album was the first time that I felt sort of more emboldened to like get a handle on the arrangement as much as possible early on. And, um, 
Yeah, so for like a song like Paprika, you know, to be fair, like technology has made it a lot easier to arrange instruments that you don't know how to play because you have all of these like sample libraries where you can play the parts on MIDI on a MIDI keyboard. And so a lot of like Paprika, which is the first song, you know, I, I wrote the drums based on this like uh, like marching band sample. And then um, all of the horns uh, I played on a MIDI um, keyboard. And there's like these really great Albion sample libraries that have like an entire orchestra that you can just basically play on a keyboard and hear how it sounds. Whoa. And then my, and then Craig, who is like a Berkeley School of Music student, who was a Berkeley School of Music student uh, and is much better at this than I am. Um, was able to notate all everything that I was playing and then we give it to um, string players or horn players to overdub it so it's real and not just Whoa. like a sample MIDI library. So that's was, how a lot of Part that of my uh, wow was I thought it was the MIDI on the record and I was like, that's <laughs> incredible. But you, yeah, you, yeah. You did we it. Had, like, yeah, yeah. It was tough because like, um, you know, especially for a song like Paprika, I think we had like 120 tracks because like recreating what was MIDI uh, was very difficult because I was just like, why doesn't this sound like a marching band just playing? And so we had to layer like, you know, five different symbols to like make this big crashing sound and like, you know, overdub a bunch of snares and, and Craig will play them for real. And so, uh, yeah, it's kind of like the two of us mostly ar- arranging together and then. You know, Be Sweet was a song that I wrote with Jack Tatum from Wild Nothing, and, and he was very much behind the the drums and the bass line for that. And I kind of did a lot of the keyboards. And, yeah, it was it was different from, from track to track. That's really cool. I, I, I love that. Thank you for that little glimpse. It, it's really cool. I really like it. And it's interesting. It almost, to my 42-year-old ear, I'm like, oh, this is kind of like, what I love about music from the eighties. And then you cover, is it Depeche Mode or In Excess? I couldn't remember. Uh, there's, there's a cover that you do. Maybe it's neither of those bands. Oh, it's neither of those bands. It's Tears for Fears. Oh my God, forgive. <laughs> Shout. It's, um, uh, <laughs> it's, we, did, we did Head Over Heels. That's right. And yeah, it was yeah. so natural to me. First of all, I mean, I could talk about each track for a while but let's it's there's more interesting things to say i do think you made really interesting vocal choices and that's not code for you sing weird i think you sing beautifully and classically and kept me going like wow what a really interesting there'd be like a a, a phrasing or, or, or the way you'd you'd let it out and i was like oh some producer in some booth somewhere was like mark that take like really because <laughs> we know the song but you're doing it in a stripped down way and yet it's surprising at the same time i thought it was great so Thank there you. seemed it seems like maybe you like music from the 80s as well or, or or some of it at least i mean tears for fears i do love that tears for fear song i think it's vocally so weird the story behind that cover is actually pretty funny because we used to do like a full closer to the original arrangement version of it uh live But it was one of those, our our audience is like, our demographic is like younger. And so it doesn't go over as well, I feel like, uh, for them. But we loved it. Yeah, totally. There are people who think, we do Dreams by the Cranberries, which to me is like such a like legendary, iconic song. And there are definitely people who are like, who who think that that's an original, even though I've I've said that it's not. But um, That's hilarious. 
Yeah, it's kind of funny because we we did like a very true to the original version of that song because I think that the arrangement of that is like of that Tears for Fear song is so incredible. I think they're such a great band. Um, mm-hmm. And we did this thing for the W Hotel where we got like Craig and I got flown to Bali to like record in a W Hotel studio <laughs> and like hang out in this like five star resort and like. Basically, we spent like we had like five days there. And I think we spent like the first three days like writing and working on the song called Essentially. And then we also had to do this cover. And we were kind of just like, I really want to spend more time at the pool and eat like um, like hot rocks Wagyu. So like maybe let's just like (laughs) dial this one in. And so, like, we'll just do a stripped-down, like, Rhodes piano version uh, really quickly so we can, like, get back to the, like, terraced outdoor pool or whatever. <laughs> so oh we kind of just, like, threw it, threw it together. And, like, it was really funny to us when people are like, I love that's, like, such a moving, like, stripped-down version of the cover. And we're like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. You were just in Bali. Like, literally the most <laughs> beautiful place on the earth. And you That were- <laughs> was probably, like, my top, my top five, like, career highlights as a musician of things that I never thought I would be able to accomplish is like walking in this like very fancy hotel and being like basically paid to like stay at a nice hotel and record music. I was just like, Oh wow. I've, I have made it. And that if I could, is... if I could bottle this feeling and feel it all the time, I would, I would die ha- very happy. That's really interesting. I'm really, so how old are you? If you don't mind me asking Michelle, I'm, I'm 32 years old. 32. I'm just curious in all of this living and all of this creating, what is your relationship with social media? Because I'm like, are you, I, let, let me put it this way because it's a compliment either way even yeah, if yeah. even if you're all about it you don't seem like a person who's constantly on social media because there's a lot going on up there but maybe maybe that's a, a respite and a break for you I'm just curious it came to my mind I would love to never be on social media but I am honestly on social media all the time not really like <laughs> posting but just like searching for people yes. talking shit about me and <laughs> like which is hard Zoning because out. maybe they just had a bad breakfast at a Japanese uh, hotel. Yeah, you never, totally. You can't be sure. Totally, totally. <laughs> Have you ever done that? It was like this isn't the band. This is this is somebody just had a bad breakfast. Yeah, yeah. I think it's <laughs> it's pretty clear. <laughs> no, you're right. That doesn't work. That doesn't work. Um, but yeah, I I would love to like log off. I think especially lately, especially like when I was like COVID fog, I was on my phone so much just zoning out to <laughs> I have to say <laughs> I actually okay th- this is a tangent but um so for the past week I I've been watching a lot of like TikTok I don't really make them uh and I don't I feel like too old uh to be in, on TikTok ever or even referencing it but I <laughs> I've been zoning out a lot on TikTok and weirdly um I don't know if it's because I had COVID and or I was watching Station Eleven and or like just the current place that we're at, like year three of COVID. Um, I got really into this idea because we have this house upstate um, that I was going to start. I I focused all of my attention that like was not able to focus on creating new art onto creating a doomsday prepper pantry of just like (laughs) and so like for the past week like I've just been watching YouTube videos of people with like doomsday prepper pantries and fantasizing about going to Costco and looking up 
like TikTok videos of Costco hauls. And I was like having this funny moment because like next week I'm supposed to go to LA and perform on the James Corden show and the Ellen show and the grant we're going to the Grammys uh, whenever that comes back. And all I could look forward to more than anything was me being able to go to Costco when I was released from Oh my God. I was like, I can't wait to go to Costco and buy like a huge like box of like San Marzano, like tomato cans. So I never have to buy them ever again. Um, and to put like dried beans into like nice glass canisters. And so all I've been doing lately has been watching like TikTok videos of, of Costco hauls. And we were actually going to drive because today was like the day that I was released from my isolation order. Today was the day my husband and I were going to drive two hours to the nearest Costco, which is in Burlington, which would have been a four hour round trip to Costco. And then I remembered that I had this podcast and I was like, you know what? I shouldn't do that. And why, why would I drive four hours round trip to go to Costco? But it was kind of like a sad thing because I was like, Oh, I've been looking forward to like eating a chicken bake for the last Ah, week. This podcast kept you from your TikTok fantasy basically. (laughs) Yeah. But it's for the best. Cause it's like, uh, we live in New York most of the time and there's like a bunch of Costco's around there. And so like, why would I drive four hours round trip to go yeah, to no, Costco? That's silly. Uh, so I was like, you know what? This is a sign. It's that a sign. I, I'll do that later. <laughs> but I have been really looking forward to it. And all I've been watching are these like TikToks of people like opening this thing called like Island Way gelato or sorbet and they come in like the so it's like the mango one comes in like a mango rind and like a coconut one comes in an actual coconut and i was like oh god if they don't have that i just die (laughs) (laughs) so fun do you get that way i i i I get obsessive sometimes about things is that a normal mode for you oh yeah i feel like there's like it's a type of mania that comes yeah Plotting, yeah. And Val, we call them Peter Projects because that's what my roommate in college would call them Peter Projects because I'd get like really obsessed with something, some design thing I was doing in our dorm room or it might be a type of food or a movie or a director. I'm currently, I've always been obsessed with Paul Thomas Anderson, but like- Oh my God. You love? Yeah, I love. I've also like been watching like a bunch of like Paul Thomas, P.T. Anderson, like- yeah. interviews and stuff like that me and too no way really like, yeah yeah have you uh, seen licky pete's yes i loved it i loved it it was so good <laughs> uh, do you it. know the Haim girls is that like a, is that a dumb question because you're in music but no um we have mutual friends i've never met them but I, I we follow each other on social media and i'm a big fan i thought alana was so like stunning debut like you yeah. just don't get a more stunning debut than that i thought it was it's... like unbelievably incredible I didn't catch anyone acting in that movie. It was yeah. really, really bizarre. To, it was lovely. To, yeah, especially her. We got to see a Q&A uh, uh, with PTA and, and Alana, and she was so cool. <laughs> like, I was just going like, why is this happening? You're not supposed to be this composed and normal about being in a movie. But she she pulled it off very, very Did cool. you see that late night? Um, I think it was... Was it Jimmy Fallon? I think she was on and she was talking about how like one of the biggest pieces of advice that he gave her was like never break. And so like, I never guess when, break. yeah, to never break, like, and, and so like, that was like something that she just held on to the entire time. And then I guess like when she was doing like the moving, the moving truck scene, um, she 
like the, there was like smoke coming out of the hood and, and the, and I, I guess like one of the, I got what Bradley Cooper was like, is this normal? And she wasn't, she was like, Oh, he's testing me. Like I'm not going to break. And she was just like, yes. <laughs> oh my <laughs> God. Great I was like, Oh man, that's so funny. That makes so much sense to me because the movie seems like, if you read a PTA screenplay, there's so much room for improv and, and you see that he just has really good bones and then the actors, it seem, it makes perfect sense. You can even watch There Will Be Blood um, outtakes on YouTube, which I, it was part of my latest mania. And you can see- Oh, I'm going to do that. It's great. Yeah. I only found one, but it was great. And it's a classic scene. And you see that Daniel Day-Lewis is just improvising it, which means the one in the movie was improvised too. Yeah. I don't know how familiar you are with the movie, but it's when he puts the napkin over his face and yeah, he's yeah. in the restaurant. That oh yeah. That wasn't in the script. He was just yeah. not messing around. That's so, incredible. So cool. What is your fave? Is it, is it there will be blood? It is. Could you tell? Yeah. Because that was my, I, I actually, because I've been rewatching them all, uh, I think it's there will be blood, then the master, then phantom thread, then licorice pizza. That's good. What is yours? Oh. Um, I would like a diehard. You know, I just feel like there will be blood is like to be contrarian. You like don't want that to be number one, you know. Um, but a lot but, of people, Boogie Nights is their number one. A oh yeah, people, I, I would. That's like pretty close. I mean, what you just said, I would say is is pretty close to. Oh uh, really? My order. I loved Phantom so you Thread. Like, I was like, like a diehard master, the master fan for a really long time, and then I saw Phantom Thread, and I was like whoa that oh. is very close to to taking my number one spot completely um, agree watching that actress go toe-to-toe with daniel day lewis uh is is stunning i mean like oh. talk about another like really phenomenal performance i felt like that movie was like a little too long but i do Phantom lo- i felt like the first like three quarters of that movie were totally perfect and That's so very, very incredible yeah. We just watched Magnolia, which is three hours and 20 minutes. Valhalla. That's crazy because it doesn't feel like there's so many characters. So it doesn't feel like it's like that long of a movie. It's in nine a way. movies. The whole thing yeah, is a montage. Yeah. Yeah. The whole thing is a three and a half hour montage I of could nine movies. Yeah. Like, yeah, forget totally. it. As totally. you're writing, I mean, like, and, and what he does brilliantly in that movie is the stakes. Somebody told me this. It was probably a YouTube. There's, there's a lot of YouTubes that are about screenwriting and they're very good, actually. One of them was like, if you're cutting in between two scenes, the stakes have to be equal. Like you can't cut between uh, me walking on a high, a tightrope between two buildings and then cut to you running out of stuff and going to Costco. It just doesn't work. <laughs> in, 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 it works for me. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Unless that's the joke. I mean, if the joke is one is like so low stakes and one is so high stakes, but if you're trying to like build tension, you have to cut between two equally tense scenes. And that's what the whole movie is. Mm. He's cutting off and cutting off and cutting off right before the tensest part. So when you come back, you're like, ah. So anyway, we loved it. We cried. We had a great time. But um, you like what I like, which is later PTA, which is after he stopped being so manic. Like Boogie mm. Nights and Magnolia aren't in my top four because he's really young and he's really frenetic. And, and that's great but I like it when he's calmer, when his camera is calmer mm, yeah. when char- and when his characters are calmer. What's Phantom Thread about? I mean, yeah. what's it about? It's about a relationship. What, what's Licorice Pizza about? It's about a relationship. It's like, yeah. they're so small. 
Mm. Savor them like like little sorbets. I'm going to say sorbets because you said sorbets. <laughs> Sorbets, like sorbets. Island Way Sorbets, <laughs> which is a sponsor. Go to com <laughs> slash breakfast, uh, Japanese breakfast. Uh, you made it weird. <laughs> Can I ask you, uh, as we're running out of time here, about your relationship to video games? It seems like that was a through line. Um, I didn't get to play it uh, just because I'm a dad and I have no free time, but I know that they did break, uh, break quest, like a, oh, yeah. sort of like a Sierra, like a King's quest kind of game Yeah, yeah. A score for a video game. And now that I know you're 32, there's a chance that maybe we had more overlap. I thought you were like 22. Oh, um, thank you. You're sort of, <laughs> yeah, you're sort of ageless. Um, what, what, I have to appear that way in my industry. I hope that's not true. I, I hope nobody's going like, Hey, Michelle, I don't know, the glint in your eye. Let's, let's get a little more joy on stage. That, I hope that's flown away. I hope it has it. I mean, are people pressuring you? Oh, no, one. I wouldn't say like I am uh, like an important enough artist for anyone to pressure in any way. But I'm sure, you know, like in, in your industry too, you know, I think it's uh, young, being young is, is idealized, you know. Yeah, I'm uh, Just because I think that the way that people want to invest in you, you're like, you know, you're ticking clock. You don't have much longer before you like, you know, get yeah. certain responsibilities or there's something certainly more charming about someone in their late teens, early twenties, like going through it, you know, yeah, I hear that, that I think is a more compelling, I think especially for musicians, because like there is like that raw heat or something uh, that comes right. from those types of feelings that you get like maybe a little bit more, not embarrassed about, but I just like, I don't have that anymore. You know, it doesn't like, hurt me to like love someone anymore like that's it, right yeah. <laughs> like you, I, you and i are late movie pta like his early yeah, movie, yeah, like, yeah. it's crazy it's crazy it's crazy out here and then later that's why we like You're like i just want to see daniel day lewis in a very nice sweater on the swiss yes. alps <laughs> yes that's right and and the the tension of the scene is he's trying to work and his girlfriend is bothering him that's all i need <laughs> but like you're right there's a romance like the stuff Sometimes I'll, I'll sing Val a song I wrote in college or something. It's unbelievably embarrassing. Um, and it's because those feelings when you're young are so real. Totally. They're so real. I don't embarrass easily, but like singing earnestly a song that I wrote when I was 19, that'll, that'll turn me red pretty quickly. It's a, a certain <laughs> type of, of hell. Um, yes, yes. Wait, what were, what were you talking You were about <laughs> video to tell game, me video about, game, video do you play video games? Are you into video games? Or what is, it's just, it just seemed to come up a lot in your life. Yeah, I am. Um, you know, I was really lucky that my dad uh, introduced me to a bunch of stuff that I think were like, you know, more gendered, uh, especially when I grew up. And, you know, I, I had a Super Nintendo when I was five years old and my dad and I used to play together. It was like kind of a bonding what activity. Um, you know, like the classics like Mario, Donkey Kong, and then there was this one RPG called Secret of Mana that was like a rare two-player RPG that my dad and I would play together. And it was like a really nice thing to bond with your parent over because like you're literally traversing a world together and you're going on this journey and it's like a very like very much a team building thing and like you know the art is incredible the character design is incredible the music is great the story and the writing is awesome and it's like a thing that you can do together it's a journey you can take over many 
many days. You know, I feel like we played that game for like years because we were not very good at it. And we, you know, we were like really like beating our heads to like how to like f- solve this thing together, what to do next, like who to talk to, like, yeah. you know, how to like level up so you can beat the guy. And um, wow. it just like stuck with me. My cousin was a big video game player. And so like I got PlayStation and played a lot of um, the Final Fantasy games. And uh, it was just something I grew up with and I really enjoyed. And um when we released Soft Sounds from Another Planet, Peter made like MIDI versions of all the songs. So it kind of just sounded like uh, video game music. And the and my label, Dead Oceans, was like, what if you made a video game to like help promote the album? And I was like, haha, make a video game. And then they were like, no, no, really? And they paired me with this woman, Elaine Fath, who like made this um, little RPG and RPG maker that was like kind of like space themed. And I helped her with some of the writing and the character design, where to place the music and stuff like that. And through that, uh, the guys at Shedworks who made this video game called Sable, which is like this open world game about um, a young girl exploring this desert planet, invited me to compose the music for it. So that was another project that I came out with this year called Sable, uh, where I, I wrote this like two hour score to this video game that was like super fun. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, it's, it's funny. I have friends that are musicians and I'm like, I forget what it was called. There was some video game, I'm forgetting the name, but you're riding a motorcycle. It's like in this weird alternate universe. It almost looks like like you smoke DMT or something. It, it's like weird. And it's all about music. Yeah, like, I think it's, it's called like Hyperlight Drifter or something like something that. Like that. Something like that. Yeah, Super, yeah. super cool. And I said to one of my friends, I was like, who's putting out an album? I was like, you really should do a video game. That's like the new way. Because I was listening I didn't realize it, but when I had played that game for a couple hours, I realized I had listened to this album, yeah, like a yeah. real album totally. that you could then go and listen to on Spotify or whatever. So you and I are similar. You mentioned earlier that you have like a marketing or like you're not afraid of the like, even when I was starting as a comedian, I was kind of thinking about like <laughs> my <laughs> brand and like, not really in those terms, but I would be like, yeah, yeah. and this is how you like get in the mix. Like this is how you get it in a Paul Thomas Anderson movie. <laughs> Um, so many things. Let me, let me just look at my notes real quick before I get to my last, uh, question. Uh, no, 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 no. Oh, you were in the Sims. Oh my God. Oh, so I wasn't. I, yeah. I sang, I sang, uh, be sweet in Simlish. Bashuk. Bashuk is how you say be sweet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is so cool. It was very fun. It's very I mean, like, it's a smart little language. Cause like, um, you know, like it sounds totally random, but then certain words are like, uh, like the word for man is sim. <laughs> oh my God. So some stuff like that is kind of clever. That is really cool. And ba is B and shoot yeah. is sweet. Yeah. When, I, when, when Craig and I were recording that, we were like kind of using all the lyrics to like talk to each other. <laughs> no. Yeah. So I you say bashuk to say. each other? Yeah. Yeah. But hey. Bashuk. I'm going through a lot of time right now. I just had COVID. Bashuk. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. Maybe it's because I played The Sims. I thought that was just really, really, really cool. Oh, I played the, the hell out of The Sims when I was growing up. and Really? It was a very, very cool thing to get to do that. It was I'm so a career good. highlight for sure. I, I always thought it was very, very uh, sort of poetic that, you know, when someone dies, death comes and gets them. Oh, yeah, yeah. Totally. If, if enough people die and death shows up enough times, you can make friends with him. Like you can talk to him. Oh, yeah, yeah, and yeah. It, and if you 
bond with him just like you would any character. He'll like come and hang out at your house and watch movies with you and stuff. And I was like, that's it. You got to make friends with death. Like, <laughs> that's like your Sim style. <laughs> yeah. But, but like, that's also like this profound poetic lesson for this life is it's like, yeah, we're going to die. You might as well have it come over and watch TV with you. Like, <laughs> you don't have to be afraid of something that happens to every living thing. Yeah, itself. go ahead and take those stairs out of that pool. <laughs> <laughs> Are you talking about murder? Sims <laughs> murder. I used to put people in doorless buildings with only bookshelves and fireplaces. And oh my God. Like, this is only a matter of time. And yes, <laughs> they would they would burn straight, straight to hell. <laughs> straight to hell. Well, Michelle, real quick, this is a joke because we end by talking about the meaning of life, but we can oh, do cool. it quickly. We don't, we don't have to, we don't have to belabor it if you're not in the mood or if you don't, if you don't have it figured out, that's totally fine. Who does? You know what I mean? Figured out your own perspective. Do you have any religious leanings or spiritual leanings or any sort of story or perspective that you tell yourself about just this? Like it's, it's fucking crazy that we are conscious and that we're alive and that there's wood and that there's computers and that there's <laughs> air and that there's trees and flowers and birds and water and stars and the sun and an infinite galaxy that's expanding. That's part of a system of all these other galaxies. Like what's going on here? And anything is fair cosmic accident, or do you see some sort of harmony? Um, and an easy way in it's often like, do you think death is the end? Is it often an easy way into some sort of supernatural belief that you weren't sure you had? Yeah, um, I would say that I am an atheist and not the most. My dad doesn't believe you, but I know. <laughs> <laughs> I Michelle am. is never an atheist. No, no. <laughs> Uh, I would say that I'm an atheist and I'm not a particularly spiritual person. That being said, I think that sort of like watching a movie, there is a level of um, this, this kind of suspension of disbelief that I allow myself to make life easier and, and more meaningful and, and sweeter to me uh, that I don't know if there's like a real line of logic that, um, makes that kind of completely true. Uh, mm -hmm. A lot of that, you know, came into question after my mom died. And, you know, I think that we're of this interesting generation where like a lot of us are atheists and um, in the same breath, like it's not, it's a very cold thing to turn to when something very mysterious and challenging happens because what, what do you, how do you, turn to science and technology to explain what just happened and where someone goes uh, that you love. And, you know, I remember even when I would leave flowers on my mom's grave, like the reality of that, uh, the cold reality of that is that I am putting flowers on her grave because uh, it is a ritual for myself to feel uh, like I'm commemorating her. But what I really want to believe is that my mom knows that I'm putting flowers on her grave and I need to allow myself to suspend that sort of disbelief that she does know when I do that, if that makes sense. Totally. So I feel like I have to allow myself certain things like that in the same way that, you know, very serendipitously after she passed away, I, I wrote a lot of, I made a lot of art about her, uh, about our relationship and about her death and about grief. 
And I had been struggling to become an artist, a successful artist, a musician for over 10 years. And it was just not happening for me. And it wasn't until she passed away and I wrote this record, Psychopomp, which is the first Japanese breakfast record, that all of a sudden I began to live a very charmed and successful life as an artist and, and about that I, about, with work that I made about her. Mm-hmm. And it is very there is a part of me that really believes that she is responsible for that, that she like looks out for me in that way, even though it it is the antithesis, it, it goes completely against everything that like I believe in. And it goes against um, what like just, yeah, it, ju- it just goes against everything that I, I, I would, how I would define my, my spirituality, but I, I have to allow space for that uh, because um, I don't know. It just makes me feel better. And, uh, and I think that that's okay. (laughs) I also wonder just to give it a little bit more credit than I I believe that it does make you feel better. And I believe that these things can be not to say coping mechanisms, but ways of making this very strange situation we're in more palatable. Hmm. I also think that there might be something going on. It's sort of a compliment that you're just aware of your heart intelligence. And there's this, awareness that you don't know what's going on fully. Totally. Uh, And because we don't know what's going on fully, there's a healthy, what I just heard is a healthy, I don't know. Um, Hmm. And and I don't know is a very, first of all, it's a very scientifically sound uh, position. uh, Everything starts with, I don't know, but it's, it's for me, it's all about transcending rationality, not, not abandoning it, but going beyond it to a a place that's actually transcended it. It's it's just not a consideration of just going, what does it feel like that could be possible? And if those things end up making you feel good, then that goes back into rationality. Now we're rationalizing it, say, well, that made us feel good. But the truth is there's something else at work. I think intuition and heart and gut going like, man, Michelle, you and I woke up in something we don't understand. So it stands to reason that there's more stuff we don't understand. And why not, if there's always going to be stuff we don't understand, hypothesize that some of those things are on our side. Because it, it, it sort of seems that way, the way that this planet feeds us and, and gives us air and supports us and gravity is keeping this very, very heavy planet on a very, very complicated course. Why not? Why not? Why not? I'm with you. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Why not? I'm just, I think that's beautiful. Well, th- because we talked about heavy things, the final question is, um, can you tell me a time in your life where you laughed really, really hard? Maybe the <laughs> hardest in your life. Uh, I'll give you some lead-ins that sometimes help people. Maybe somebody fell. <laughs> Maybe somebody <laughs> farted. There's often a fart. Oh, okay, okay. And then farted. Okay. Whatever comes to mind. Maybe you're six, maybe you're 26. It doesn't matter. Um, okay. I, I have two directions, uh, but I'll, I'll do the more recent one because it, 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 it throws someone under the bus a little less. Um, <laughs> my friend uh, Missy, who plays in a band uh, called mannequin pussy um it's a great punk band you should have her on on the show she's lovely i would love to um but she was the star of my music video uh the first single for jubilee was was called b-suite and it was um this this uh this 
kind of like X-Files fan fiction where the two of us basically played like a Mulder and Scully type detectives and, uh, you know, doing some like paranormal investigation. And so she, this was during COVID and, and she, you know, we had like a very small cruel uh, crew and, and, you know, we, we shot it up here at, at my place of state and um, she came like a day early to like try on the wigs and like do our makeup and stuff. <laughs> and it was probably because like, we like, we also like hadn't seen people in like a really long time. And, and, you know, we were, we were hanging out together and uh, we, she had just seen this like TikTok video about like, you know, there's this like trend that's like, um, no one's going to know they're going to know. And, um, it's like this girl overlining her lips, uh, like, you know, like Kylie Jenner style, just like overlining her lips with lip liner. And it's like, she does it like amazing. Like you would have no idea that her lips just like became like two sizes bigger and it's really impressive. So we were like trying, we were trying to overline our lips <laughs> and she like, I, I wish I could send you the photo. Cause like, we are both, I guess we're both really bad at makeup, but I did it and it was just so bad. And then I look over at her and she's done it. And it's like even way worse. We just like look like insane clowns. And I like the insane never, clown posse, but the real insane clown. Just like, I, yeah. I just couldn't believe like how poorly she overlined her oh lips. My and gosh. it just looked so bad. And I like, I don't, I have not laughed that I like almost peed my pants laughing because like the two of us just like lost it because we were also just like I don't know why but we were also like very hot it was like very hot in the house we were like kind of sweating (laughs) we took all these photos like thinking that we like we're gonna look really hot and like actually we just like looked like two crazy people and I have not laughed that much like since I was like a young teenager it was just like something about it was just so I I realized like in retelling it it doesn't seem very funny but are you crazy (laughs) This is one of the great answers. I the love photo, this answer. The photo of her with like just comically overlined lips. And sweating. And while sweating. sweating. It's just like, she's a gorgeous woman and she looked so terrible. It was so I funny. Love it. <laughs> but the two I of us together with these like psychotically overlined lips were, was very funny. I can't believe you don't think that's funny. <laughs> I mean, like, I feel like I you, have you, to, know you have to see the photo uh, of us just like with the filter, like trying to look hot with overlined lips and just how badly so we did funny. it. Well, maybe when this episode drops, you can, you can Instagram yeah, send it again to you. Send and it send it to me. <laughs> yeah, send it to me and I'll Instagram it as, as the plug. Thank you so much, Michelle. This was Thanks. such a this pleasure. Great. I'm such so a, a fan. Uh, I wish you every success. Good luck with your script. I'm Thank sure you. it's going to be great. Thank you. Thank now you. I'm very invested if Peter's going to be in it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, not. who wins? Hollywood? <laughs> Does Hollywood win? Um, thank you so much for taking the time and, 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 best of luck with the rest of your quarantine and and recovery and all that thank and hope to you. see you i hope you win everything you were nominated oh, for. Thank you. and i hope to meet you in person one day me too me too yeah. it's so great to meet you yes absolutely we'll be in touch i think i have your number so i'll text you and you can send me the photo if if that's okay yeah totally would you say keep wait. it crispy it's how it's how we end the show the guest says the catchphrase which is keep it crispy keep it crispy <laughs> perfect Thank you so much, Michelle. Thank you. Have a good night.